Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 74, Privilege Purge. 20 years ago I heard Richard Harris, Bishop of Oxford, lament the fall in ordination candidates from England's top public schools. Do you agree with him? Or do you say, good riddance? This is our fourth and final episode about one tiny school-based Christian group called Ewanminster that doesn't formally even exist anymore. Yes, it does feel a bit obsessive, doesn't it? But they're such a big part of the church I know, I could easily have given them ten weeks. And if you spend time with Anglican clergy, you'll not have to wait long until you hear someone telling their tale of grievance. They've made a lot of enemies. Their narrow conservative gospel has always made them a bit of an oddity. Church of England used to look up to posh people, and now it bangs on endlessly about equality, diversity and inclusion, a bit like every other national organisation. Although our investigative journalism about the top jobs in London suggests that all this EDI talk is often just talk. I suspect the other criminal gangs in New York and Chicago did not like the way the Sicilian Mafia bagged all the most lucrative protection rackets, all the well-paid, ill-gotten gain. And what do you think other clergy resent about the Ewanminster Mafia? I might not know where Charlie Screen went to school, but I'll tell you one thing I do know. When he moved a couple of miles west from St Helen's Bishopsgate, second in command, to the top job at All Souls Langham Place in 2021, he was not the only clergyman in the Church of England who would have rather liked that job. The truth is I could have filled all four episodes just from the stories of clergy who resent this mafia. Listen to a group of evangelical clergy and one of their favourite storylines is how they've been patronised, passed over and excluded from something they expected was theirs. Perhaps a seat on a committee of some influential ginger group or an invitation as an assistant missionary in a university mission or a speaking invitation or promotion of some kind. Yes, I would like to know where Charlie Screen went to school. And then I would like to see the other schools of all the other unsuccessful applicants for his job by way of comparison. As you know, I define Ewanminster as upper class. My educational background is lower class. And what background do you think Ewanminster's harshest critics come from? Yes, the middle class Christians who really don't like them. People who would have no hesitation looking down on someone like me cry, It's a foul! When the Ewanminster Mafia makes a manoeuvre around them and they lose out on something they feel entitled to. It's no surprise to me that their most trenchant critic of recent times, Andrew Greystone, is solidly middle class. Oh, the irony and idiosyncrasy of the English class system. When he rails against their iron grip on appointments... I would love to know how many times he himself has felt stitched up in something that he thought should have been his. No, I do not want to take a sledgehammer and smash this movement to pieces. 
I realise I'm a lonely figure in no man's land because I can't swallow their narrow sin salvation gospel, but neither do I see the gospel priority of 21st century English Christianity as trying to liquidise them. I see their funny ways as mainly, well, funny peculiar ways rather than a moral stain on the body of Christ. Their gospel is too narrow for me, but I cannot support the move to smash them up as the new gospel imperative, as though the heart of Christianity is about trying to purge privileged people from the church. As far as privilege is concerned, the pendulum has swung a long way during my lifetime. In my youth, we were too deferential towards rich Christians. I think there was a widespread collusion with wealth as not merely divine blessing, but spiritual righteousness. In my brethren days, we used to have a wealthy estate agent come and preach. He drove a very nice sports car with a personalised number plate. And we thought this conferred the halo of God's approval. Now, our chapel had windows all along one side looking onto the car park. And he parked his very nice car right in full view, almost next to the pulpit, so we could see the preaching of the gospel and God's approval of this particular gospel preacher. I suspect anyone going to preach at any church now these days with a car like that would be wise to park it round the corner, or maybe even ten minutes walk away. Higher status in most churches I know would be more likely an old bicycle with a puncture. Christians no longer look up to privileged people. We lionise poverty. We value victim status. It's a big change in values. In my humble opinion, the pendulum has swung too far. We're becoming too chippy about privilege. I'll tell you why we should love the poor another day. I don't think many of you need telling that. Today I want to tell you why we should love the rich and this posh boys mafia. Bash, the founder of Euminster, was right. Human beings are acutely conscious of status and care about the culture of their tribe. And although a strategy of key boys in key schools makes less sense today, I want the best people in church leadership. Different societies have their own different pecking orders. Rejecting and closing down the top inner circles in any society is not a good idea. In India, I would expect many church leaders to be Brahmin caste, as they are in Hinduism. In a culture obsessed with sport, I'd expect them to have good ball skills. In a money-mad society like America, I would expect many Christian leaders to be rich. In foodie France, I'd expect them to be handy in the kitchen. You're never going to eliminate social status and pecking order from any human society. We shouldn't kowtow to the elite but it would be self-defeating to deliberately exclude them. I seriously think that many Christians today think the church is strengthened by getting rid of privileged people. Now here's the question behind the question for me. What is the correlation between good leadership and expensive schooling? Perhaps a century ago, most English people thought it very high not far off 100%, which gave us the First World War disaster of expensively educated young men leading their poorly educated peers into trench warfare. We look back on lions led by donkeys. We are rightly less likely to think that educational privilege in your teens 
guarantees talent and good judgment. But I suspect the correlation between expensive private school and good leadership ability is more than 50%. Those schools don't just get thick kids through exams. They train young people in all sorts of subtle life skills that come in very handy when you have to chair a working group or recruit a new musician or organise a petition. We were naive to think all public school boys are good leaders. But it's equally silly to think banishing those who've had the privilege of a really good schooling will improve the way churches run. When I arrived at Durham University, aged 18, I went in all guns blazing. I made sure every private school Christian around me knew that whilst I was there because of my own brilliance, they were only there because of mummy and daddy's checkbook. The most obvious political priority in the land was the abolition of private schools, combined with universal comprehensive schools for all. If you question this, then I question whether you're really a Christian. I remember skewering one poor Herovian after Christian Union on a Saturday night for about an hour. But like most of them, he heard me out politely. He didn't take the bait. He was far too savvy to give me the fight I really wanted and was trying to provoke him into. Quite quickly, my revolutionary rhetoric lost steam because I could see that not only did these private school kids have all sorts of subtly skillful ways, but they used these unfair dark arts for the promotion of Christianity. I soon realised that these were people it was better to work with than against, to learn from rather than to lecture. Their confidence was sometimes overconfidence, but most of the time it was based on something quite real. Yes, diversity is better than uniformity. Equality is better than inequality. It's good for church people to see leaders who look like themselves. But I would put the emphasis on quality. If I were the senior leader of any Christian sect, I would want to recruit the best people I could get my hands on. Church is a leadership-intensive enterprise. Caring about whether they're male or female, black or white, gay or straight, I would see as a luxury I can't afford. Just give me the best. As I look at the church leaders I know today, I think mediocrity is a far bigger problem than inequality. When I was a young man thinking about what to do with my life, I was inspired by the sight of some of the finest people I knew wanting to work for the church. I think we delude ourselves if we think these gut reactions don't matter. We need people to look up to. And when I've seen people do something really well in church life, well, I just can't help noticing most of the time they went to a school better than mine. And so to smash up Titus Trust, because it only works in private schools, would be a self-indulgent act of self-harm. I'd love to see the day when English society is so equal there's no correlation between school type and, let's say, the ability of a priest to lead people or to preach. Things are probably moving that way. And even when we get there, there's still going to be some form of inequality. Human society will always have one hierarchy or another. When I started at South Chadderton Comprehensive School, 
I ranked low on one hierarchy but high on another of the two dominant status sorting scales because I was not very good at football but my Adidas Samba trainers were high status as long as I wasn't trying to kick a ball straight. If in 50 years time no one cares at all about what school you went to they'll judge you on something else. As we come to the end of our time of looking at Ewerminster, let's focus for a moment on their most famous son. Imagine Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury, did not go to Eton College, but to my school. Now, I would have given him a very warm welcome at South Chatterton Comprehensive School back in the days before the inspectors lost patience and closed our school down. What would he have gained from an education at South Chad? Well, he'd have got a wider experience of society, yes. He could have joined me in skiving off chaotic lessons to actually do some learning at home. And I would have enjoyed the company of someone else who actually wanted to pass their O-levels at the age of 16. Do you think he'd have picked up better leadership training to run the Church of England today? No, probably not. So why do you want to smash Ewanminster and banish public school boys? It's sometimes said that the Battle of Waterloo was won on the playing fields of his school. And there have probably been some Manchester City, Manchester United, Derby days, street fights that were won or lost on the playing fields of my school. We could help him to learn the art of football hooliganism. But would that make him a better Archbishop? Over the years, I've met lots of clergy from Eton College. Some of them were upper-class twits, but many of them were good leaders. I have never met another Anglican clergy person from my school. And if you want a well-run church, that's probably just as well. A final word to Reverend Charlie Screen, Rector of All Souls Langham Place. Charlie, I want to square up with you. I still don't know where you went to school. It does matter in terms of the diversity and equality of the top clergy in London. Now, I don't want to relegate you, but for me, you're not in the top five London clergy because I would rank Bishop Sarah and David Hoyle, Dean of Westminster, above you both state school. But I suppose you would scrape into my top seven, where there's just one woman and at least four went to the same school. I don't feel good about raising this issue because I regret the chippiness of this age in trying to do down anybody who went to a posh school. Inverted snobbery is no better than conventional snobbery. I can understand why so many public school boys have to play down their school in order to get on. And for me, that's no better than the world where... Those boys used to announce their school as the first and most important thing about them. I apologise to you, Charlie, if I've indulged in this ugly class one-upmanship. Nobody from Ewerminster has ever hounded me because of my school. And I apologise for making such an issue of yours. Thank you for listening to episode 74. We've spent far too long in the south of England. Next week we're going back to home turf 
with a church crawl around Manchester. <laughs>